welcome to this week's episode of CJMP News. We are a community-led news source broadcasting from our Marine Avenue studio, high above the bowling alley in downtown Paul River. We're broadcasting to you live from the coast of the Sailor Sea and the traditional territory of the Klahaman people. My name is Peter Harvey, and I'm here with Carrie Swigum. Hello. And Yanni Weiss is operating the soundboard. Hello. We have another great show for you today. Inger Lisa Burns will be in the studio to give us an update on the Zero Waste Fair happening this, uh, this Sunday. rather. We also had a chance to catch up with local musician John Wright of the band No Means No about their local retirement. And you'll hear the third of our featured short documentaries about life in Paul River. This one is from Sandra Lopez, a new resident who came here by way of Bogota, Colombia. But first up are a few news headlines. Thank you, Peter. I'm Carrie, and now for today's top news for Friday, October 14th. A diesel spill near Bella Bella Thursday has jeopardized clam beaches and salmon streams after a tug pushing a massive fuel barge ran aground. According to the Globe and Mail, the fuel barge itself was empty, but the tug contained approximately 60,000 gallons of diesel. The tug hit Edge Reef off the northern tip of Athlone Island early Thursday, where a still unknown amount has spilled out. The U.S. company that owns the tug and barge said resources have been deployed to, quote, meet the worst possible discharge and are either on scene or en route, unquote. HealthSuck Chief Marilyn Slett said the spill is their worst nightmare. She said volunteers raced to the scene just after daybreak and reported seeing a large fuel slick. And she said last year about 50,000 pounds of manila clams were harvested from beaches there, and this year's harvest was due to begin in about three weeks. Slett said neither the Coast Guard nor the tugs, tugboat's crew were able to contain spilled fuel because of a shortage of equipment. The city of Paul River is in the beginning stages of establishing a working group to examine accessible housing options. More specifically, the working group will address plummeting rental vacancy rates and unstable or unaffordable housing options. Councillor Maggie Hathaway says although this will not be a housing authority per se, they will attempt to establish an organized approach to housing in the Paul River area and that there may be funds from other areas of government in the spring and the city wants to be ready with shovel-ready projects. An organizational meeting to establish a working group and examine accessible housing options is set for October 25th, according to a press release by the city. It will be held in the Elm Room at the Paul River Rec Complex at 1.30 p.m. All interested parties are invited to attend. And on October 25th, there will be another public consultation in Powell River. The Promise is hosting an open house to address a potential link to the mainland. The provincial government announced Thursday it will hold several open houses between October 18th and October 27th in Gibson's, Powell River, Seashelt, Squamish, and West Vancouver. An online feedback form will also be available after October 18th. BC Transportation Minister Todd Stone said they've heard from stakeholders from Powell River to the Sunshine Coast that highway access is important for attracting tourism and investment, though he cautioned any project could take a decade to complete and would be, quote, a very, very significant infrastructure project, unquote. The public meeting will be on October 25th, 4 p.m. at the Town Center Hotel. And speaking of travel to the Sunshine Coast, BC Ferries has announced a major construction project to begin at the Langdale Terminal early next year. They will be shutting down the main loading berth, that's berth one, from mid-January to approximately mid-April for structural upgrades or replacements. That means cars will only be loading or unloading from one deck. To make up for the loss of vehicles that can get on, BC Ferries will operate on an hourly schedule, which they say will keep the capacity about the same. BC Ferries says every sailing will be partially reservable as they are now, and customers are encouraged to make reservations for desired sailing times. 
The Vice President of Engineering, Mark Wilson, said these upgrades will provide about 20 years of dependable service from Birth One. And that is your CGMP News Briefs for Friday, October 14th. You are listening to Paul River Community Radio on 90.1 FM and streaming online at cjmp.ca. Stay tuned for a future documentary on the intertidal zone. And then our live in-studio guest, Ingerlisa Burns from Let's Talk Trash, will be here. But first, a track from local band Texture and Light. And this is Theft of the Sky, the first signal on Texture and Light's new release, Inner Space Odyssey, released today. If you want to hear more, head down to the Red Lion Pub tonight. The band will be playing with Luca Bouchard for an acoustic set and Commandy for an all-vinyl throwdown. Time is now eight minutes after 12, I think. All the clocks in here are different. Um, it's actually, yes, eight minutes after 12. And if you're listening to our rebroadcast on Saturday, the time is eight after 11. Expected high of 12 for Friday and similar on Saturday. However, a big storm is on its way with wind warning in effect for the Sunshine Coast. 
Uh, strong winds that may cause damage are expected in some parts of coastal BC as well. And we could be seeing winds as high as 100 kilometers per hour with rainfall reaching 200 millimeters in some areas of the island. Please keep an eye on alerts and forecasts issued by Environment Canada. And uh, this past week, we spoke to the Powell River Regional District Manager of Emergency Services, Ryan Toms, about how to stay safe in this weather. Cleaning your gutters, your downspouts, so that water isn't steering into your basements, of course. Um, if you live in rural areas, there may be culverts uh, at the end of your driveway, ensuring that those are clear. This time of year, in the early storms, trees still haven't shed a lot of their leaves, so trees are even more vulnerable. If we get truly another heavy rainfall this evening and then a third one, um, the more saturated the ground gets, the more instability, and then you add some wind. So if, if you choose to be out in the trees, um, you know, think about that, whether you really need to, whether this is the best time to go for a hike or a trail run. Hopefully you don't have one that comes down on your roof. Power outages, of course, um, that means different things again for all of us in terms of uh, what we need in terms of powering. Some people are going to be just fine sitting in the dark or can actually have health and safety concerns if you really have something that's important that you have power operating. So uh, make plans for that, whether it's as simple as hand crank radios and, and flashlight batteries and, and the like, or whether that's uh, you know going out and checking your generator, making sure that it actually works if, if you have one and rely on it versus waiting until uh, the dark and stormy night and having fuel for it, all of those types of preparedness things, having your own first aid kit, having your own plan, being prepared for it, uh, understanding your own property, your own strengths and weaknesses, and remembering that in some of the worst storms, the roads can get blocked or power lines can be on roads and making that not safe and, and not the best time to be out trying to drive, especially in the dark in the storms. So the emergency crews can be delayed. We all know that hydro crews can get overwhelmed sometimes. And, and uh, emergency services can get overwhelmed um, on some of these. Uh, and that there's no need to race past an emergency scene. So I always give them a nice wide berth, especially in the dark. But anything that has flashing lights, and that includes works crews, highway crews, and of course, fire trucks, police ambulances, and the like. Give them uh, lots of space and slow right down, because you never know, they might be distracted themselves and uh, step out into the road all of a sudden. So should be prepared for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah, have some batteries and a, and a way to keep yourself warm and dry, and uh, hopefully uh, don't plan on being out on the road somewhere if you don't really need to be. You know, talk to your family, talk to your neighbors. And really, that's the big thing. Talk over the fence. Sometimes your problem is something they can help with and vice versa. You know, hopefully it's just a nice fun storm and, uh, you know, just the pleasures of living here on the coast. And then listen to radio. Hopefully uh, CJMP will be on the air. So good advice there from Ryan Toms. And you can hear the rest of that um, interview that Yanni did with him this past week on our podcasting page at cjmponline.ca slash podcasting. And coming up next is a short radio documentary by Sandra Lopez. Sandra has only recently gotten involved with CJMP and is very passionate about radio and storytelling. CJMP is proud to present this first ever airing of her five-minute piece, Discovering the Intertidal Zone. Have you ever paid attention to the sound the water makes when the tide is coming up? There is not a lot of coastline in my hometown, Bogota. High up in the mountains, the intertidal zone has always been a hidden ecosystem for my senses. But now that I moved to Powell River, the coast and its dynamics are an important part of my life. There is a girl out on the sea. 
I knew that I couldn't understand this landscape on my own. So I asked local biologist Rick Harbo to tell me about the intertidal zone. Well, the intertidal zone is the part of the ocean shore where the water moves in and out, and the water is influenced mostly by the sun and the moon, gravitational poles, but it's also affected locally by weather conditions and other events. Globally, Canada is known for having the highest tides in the world. And here in the Strait of Georgia, we have huge amounts of water coming up and down two times per day, which means that every day at low tide, this hidden world is exposed, making it possible for us to experience and explore its wide diversity of plants and animals. June 5th, 2016 was the lowest tide of the year, so I joined the Malaspina Naturalist Club on a field trip to Hernando Reef. We took a boat from land, and as soon as we got out of the boat, I saw hundreds of creatures moving all over the place. As Rick Harbo says, one of the joys of Hernando Reef is that it's undeveloped, which means that it has a vast variety of non-human life, like brittle stars. Oh. <laughs> There's a brittle star. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Sponges. Flatfish. What is it? It's a flatfish. Starts off vertical and then eventually migrates its eyes. Or even an extraordinary creature called the midshipman fish. They're uh, not a small fish. They grow up to about 13 inches long and they belong to a family of fish called toadfish and this this is the only uh, species of toadfish in in our waters now normally this fish in winter and fall is uh, at great depth almost 1200 feet uh, over 350 meters so they're normally they're deep water fish but when it comes spring and summer these fish come up into the intertidal to spawn And one of the most impressive things about the midshipman fish is that it hums. The males hum, and uh, because of that, they're often called a singing fish, or they've also been called a roaring bullhead because of this low uh, bass-like hum that they make. Scientists don't really know the true purpose of its skull, but they think it is related to mating. We found ourselves fascinated with the midshipman fish, but we were not the only ones interested in it. Standing on Hernando Reef, we were surrounded by more than 20 eagles, one of their major predators. They're picking away these fish when they come out from under the rocks. When you lift up the rocks, there may be, there may be several fish under the rocks, and there may be a male, a large male, and a female, and there's also uh, what are called small sneaker males. And these sneaker male fish, they try to uh, sneak in either under the rock or at the edge of the rock, and uh, they release sperm, and they're trying to fertilize the eggs that are laid um, by the female. For us, June 5th was a beautiful sunny day, but for the intertidal creatures, it was an extreme situation. When the tide went out, they became exposed to the sun, the wind, and predators. And in order to remain moist, they crowd themselves into cavities under the stones and in little tiny pools. 
I never gave much thought to the intertidal song before moving to Powell River, but now I realize how deeply it influences our lives. From oyster farmers to fishermen to marine biologists, the ocean influences our art and the way we relate to land and time. Have you ever paid attention to the tides? Sandra Lopez with her documentary, Discovering the Intertidal Zone. And uh, coming up this Sunday, the public is invited to a zero-waste fair. It's at the Evergreen Theatre, October 16th, and it runs from 3 to 4.30 p.m. And it's hosted by Let's Talk Trash in the Regional District. Uh, to tell us more about this event, we have one of the Let's Talk Trash team members in the studio. Hello. Hi there. And that's Ingalisa Burns. And... Um, First of all, before we get into the talk um, about what's coming up this weekend, um, Let's Talk Trash has been very busy, and you guys have been running a, a pilot project. Uh, first of all, can you tell us about um, how that's going, I guess? Sure, yeah, thanks for the invitation to come in and talk about it. The pilot project is a community composting pilot project, and what that looks like is people are being invited to drop off their compost at the at two different locations in town and this is a free service being offered to the public it's um the two locations are the town center recycling depot which some people don't know where that is so i can just briefly share it's basically between rona and the thrift stores so if you're in that section of town and um, if you're doing your recycling there already all the better you can drop in your drop off your compost at the same time. So same hours of operation, Monday to Saturdays, from eight until five thirty. So convenient for most folks on mm -hmm. some day there. Um, basically, that's the location for smaller loads up to twenty pounds. And if there's a larger load, that's also possible mm -hmm. because yard waste is a part of what's being invited to be dropped off, and um, that can be dropped off at Sunshine Disposal which is kind of near Duncan and Joyce there on Franklin Avenue, kind of industrial area. And that's just Wednesdays and Saturdays. And there's all that information, uh, if you forget or don't have a pen handy, is all available on the letstalktrash.ca website. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like um, um, you guys are accepting not only yard waste, but also meat and bones and that sort of thing, which is not uh, usually accepted. So maybe a good time to, um, if you're wanting to, get rid of those things in a, in a good way to come down and talk to you guys and see what exactly uh, the process is and sounds like pretty simple so yeah we're hoping to make it simple and that you're right the kinds of materials that are being invited include things that aren't typically put in a backyard composter because people do have concerns about attracting rodents and bears and so this would be the perfect solution if that is a challenge for you especially right now during bear season when they're specifically pretty ravenous so um, the full list of what's accepted can be um, gotten on our website as well as in person. We'll give uh, folks a handout if you drop by. One of the three members of the Let's Talk Trash team or some of our very skilled subs, including Yanni here, will be able to answer questions about what's accepted. But the main thing is just we don't want any plastic of any kind. So, you know, take off those little fruit stickers, even though it's crazy that they're not compostable. Mm -hmm. And uh, no compostable plastics are allowed for uh, a long rant of reasons that I won't get into right now. Okay. okay. Going back to the yard waste, um, is that new? Because I've been my hedge, which is going before it starts attacking people, I really need to trim it, and I really don't have 
been wondering what I could possibly do with the uh, trimming. So that's considered yard waste and that could go into the... Right, again, you can get a full list, but basically no invasive species and yard waste under one inch in di diameter. So the brand, trees. No <laughs> trees, no stumps. That's for okay. other, there's other services. Like I think Wild Road yeah. Sand and Gravel actually accepts stumps for free okay. Monday to Friday. So just um, for smaller loads or smaller okay. um, branches. Yeah, it's, it's a new program as of October 1st, which is yeah. why some people hadn't yet heard of it. And well, uh, you're also good. including shells from shellfish? Is that... We're including any kind of shell that you could crush in your hand. So that would be like a mussel shell or an egg shell, but something okay. that's harder to grind up for, even for the big industrial machines are not accepted. So no oyster shells and no clam shells. So those can actually be safely disposed of back into the ocean and create habitat okay. for future. Okay, but prawns and stuff like that? like. Prawns prawn are fine, yeah. yeah okay. There you go. So if you okay. can crush it in your hand. Okay. But if you're super strong, maybe <laughs> that doesn't apply. I could crush oyster shells. So is there a chance that if people don't use this service enough that the city won't, or the regional district won't fund it so, anymore? Like, so this is a, a chance for people to really come in and show their support of composting appropriately? Okay. I appreciate the question, yeah, because briefly we're trying to get volumes up high enough so that we could justify having a local processing okay. center. Currently it will be shipped down to Seashelt to Salish Soils to be processed, which is actually a better choice than Washington Landfill, which is yes. where we're going for our garbage when something isn't composted. So given the option, it's, it's the better one, but long term we'd like to have a, a local facility um, be interested in doing that and they just basically need to know that there's enough volumes to justify the investment okay great so what can people expect when they come to the fair on sunday like what will so much fun <laughs> okay a break That's from good. the storm yes the fun storm <laughs> so assuming everything goes well weather wise for um, the electricity and everything which we expect everything will be fine um, it will be a bit rainy and windy outside, but inside it sure won't be. And it's actually going to be a jam-packed event. And it being the Zero Waste Fair and Speakers Forum. This is something that's been a long time coming. And it basically has two parts. It's, um, or maybe I'll back up a bit. It's, it's The idea is to get a bunch of the change makers in our community together mm -hmm. to even just to meet each other because some people are specializing in certain areas and they could be collaborating but also for the community to really um, get uh, to know what's available, what are the resources for them to help minimize and reduce their waste stream, because we don't always know. So that's kind of the overall vision. And then there's lots of exciting things like this new composting program to update the community on, and uh, most practical ways to, to get us all together. Um, the event itself is divided into two different portions. It's going to be a jam-packed hour and a half to two hours for sure. Mm -hmm. And the first uh, 20 minutes or so is going to be a fair. Um, the Zero Waste Fair includes displays from people like Ron Berzan, who's got a display on his biochar, which is making use of waste wood and creating a soil amendment, which is pretty exciting. Uh, Wendy Drummond. Uh, who is a guest speaker, so is Ron Berzan, is going to have a display on how to upcycle clothing or how to repair clothing and even um, make it more beautiful than it was before the rip and tear occurred. And so she'll have a display there. And a few other things would be um, like Mac Powell is creating a reclaimed metal sculpture. Oh, great, great. And that'll be on display. And um, various me methods of composting will be highlighted. And that's all just in the fair portion. And then moving on to um, the main event, if you will, we've kind of got 
an update of all things waste related. I don't even like to say trash anymore and maybe not even waste because we're trying to redefine this idea of waste because waste is just a misplaced resource, really. So how do we how do we capture these resources? So we're highlighting uh, ways to reduce what we bring into our lives in the first place. And um, uh, also, like, so Wendy Drummond's a great example, you know, repair your clothing instead of making something new. Mm -hmm. And it can be more unique and just better all around, right? Um, so she'll be talking about the textiles industry, for example. And um, at the beginning of the hour, we'll be having various um, public officials like uh, Patrick Brabazon is going to give us this, the overall setting for how waste is managed. Like, because we are working within a municipal district, and how how does that work exactly? What um, what are our rights? What are our responsibilities? And that'll just be a brief intro for the overall picture. Mm -hmm. um, and then Councillor Caroline Leishman will be there to talk about how we can collaborate as a community with um, neighboring communities on Vancouver Island okay. for waste management. There's some exciting opportunities that are sometimes overlooked if there's no group that gets together for them to discuss things like that. Yeah, actually, I was going to ask about that. Uh, are there other communities that are that are doing what we're trying to do already or that we perhaps will inspire? Uh, no, 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 just kidding. <laughs> of course, there's there's more than we know that's going on all the time, right? We've been really inspired by some of our neighboring communities, and Nanaimo does a lot of waste diversion, for example. They've already got a composting program, and compost is like 40% of our waste stream. And yeah. um, But I, I would say, and perhaps just to close out our time, is that the Resource Recovery Center, which is another aspect of what's going to be featured mm -hmm. um, at the event, we're going to talk about how we've gotten a $6 million grant for our community. This is the largest uh, grant that municipal or that the regional district has ever success been successful in getting. Mm -hmm. So what it means is we'll be closing out the landfill, the old incinerator site by Willingdon, which has been unused for decades, and reclaiming it, but also creating a resource recovery center there, which can be a hub for managing all of our so-called waste. And that is something that it in in the way that we're going to do it is nearly unprecedented because it would involve an education center, small-scale gardening, a cafe where people could gather. So no longer will it be um, the dump of the past where you don't want to go and only seagulls hang out. It's going to be a place where you could bring your kids, have a picnic. Mm -hmm. And this is a five-year plan that's going to be unveiled at the Zero Waste Forum on Sunday. So people can go in and maybe ask questions about that too if they if they have anything else they want to know about it sure um, so it sounds like this is a great um, forum to go to a lot of innovative and resourceful topics being shared um, so thanks for putting it on I appreciate it's that. a pleasure yeah. and I don't even know if I mentioned that it's at the Evergreen Theater did I say that yeah. it's yes, from 3 till 4 30 at the Evergreen Theater this Sunday and it's free and it's free all right well thank you very yes. much for coming in and telling us more about this pleasure all right and now we are going to come back after these messages and you'll hear an interview with John Wright as well as um, Sam Sands Lone and more so stay tuned you are listening to CJMP News on Powell River Community Radio 90.1 FM and streaming online at cjmp.ca live Fridays at noon and rebroadcast on Saturdays at 11 a.m. your voice your community
Did you know the Powell River Regional District has an emergency notification system? If there's a fire, earthquake, or other critical news, the Regional Emergency Program can give you a call with more information. Register your number at the Regional District website, powellriverrd.bc.ca. Follow the links to the emergency notification system and sign up today. It could save your life. Hello? So, Kevin, what is Radio Happy Hour? Radio Happy Hour, from what I've come to know it as, is a gathering at uh, CGMP uh, Tuesdays between 3 and 5 p.m. 3 to 5 p.m. Tuesday. Okay, good. And and what exactly happens there? So far today, I've learned uh, some of the technical side of radio, as well as meeting new people and understanding what the function is of radio here in Powell River. C'est magnifique. And the location is at uh, the station headquarters right here where we are right now excellent in the moment fantastic in the place and we are back and um, next is an interview with john wright and john is the drummer in the band no means no which um has infamy around the world yet they are a bit under uh what do they call them underground Um, (laughs) infamy i like that (laughs) um but uh john is a uh just have to say a special person to me so this is i just want to say that maybe uh put it out there that i know him pretty well but i did sit down with him for an interview um a couple weeks ago and now we're just have the time to play it on this show um but without further ado here's uh john wright talking about his career with the band no means no and what's coming next nice to have you in the studio oh nice to be here <laughs> you are known of uh for a few things one of them is that you were the drummer in the band No Means No, which you formed. That That's true. I was. <laughs> and that's why you're here today, because last week, uh, No Means No announced their retirement. After how many years? Yeah. Uh, oh, God, how many? Well, I started playing with my brother um, in the at the end of the 70s, around 1978. And uh, Look Here Come the Wormies, our first shared single was uh, in 1980 and so i uh, we we give that as our official start um the first thing that came out with uh, no means no on it so what does that make it 30 well uh, i guess last year the uh, um western canadian music awards that was the last thing we did so 35 years okay so you live in paul river or lund more up in lund yeah how did you find your way to lund um Actually, it was my friend Mike Robinson who uh, came up here from Victoria, I think. The early 90s, uh, just wanted to go to the end of the road and see what was there. And he found some properties, and he was trying to convince our friend Paul Bouget to come up and buy a piece. And he wanted to get some land, and I got wind, so I came up, and and uh, I had some money to buy some land, and it was quite cheap. So uh, I just bought some acreage back in 1994. Yeah, well, mostly it was just coming up with uh, for, you know, hanging out in the summer and visiting. But I've lived here now for coming up to four years. Okay, full-time living. Full-time. Because I am aware that the band toured pretty much full-time for years and years. Up until yeah, years 1985 we guess when we got sort of touring in earnest. Um, and uh, it was quite busy up until our first uh, guitar player retired, Andy Kerr. And he left in 91, and um, then we had about two years off. And then when Tom Holliston, 
joined up uh, with the Hanson Brothers. We did some shows in 93, and then he started playing guitar in No Means No. And, yeah, we've been pretty solidly busy up until... Uh, the 2013 was the end of our last tour in in Europe, and um, and then, uh, like I say, the uh, Western Canadian Music Awards was the last show we did. And so now um, you're kind of retiring, or you're retiring officially. There was a Facebook message that got shared yeah. around the world. Yeah, was... my brother. I, I mean, I knew my brother was pretty fin- pretty much finished uh, a while ago. But uh, you know, I hate it when bands go, "All right, we're quitting," and then you know, then oh well, we're getting back together because actually we got a bunch of great offers when we everyone found out we quit. <laughs> um, and um, and since you know, no means no. Uh, there was all. It seemed like it was always rumors that we had split up, like for years, like uh, our entire existence. There was always some rumor, like I thought you guys were splitting up or had split up. Like, so um, uh, I didn't really want to say anything until uh, I was a hundred percent sure that there was we weren't gonna. Well, I was. Well, that my brother's not gonna play. Uh, I would have continued on. I still think we had another good record in us, and uh, uh, but my brother is just. Uh, can't bring himself to get in a van and get on the road and stay in hotels and do the whole thing. He's he's an old man now, <laughs> <laughs> with two very young children. So. Well, that that will do it. <laughs> That'll do it. Getting older by the second. <laughs> so that okay, that's um, that news was announced last week, I think, and then it became worldwide news. Uh, well, we've toured all over the place. Yeah, we never made it to South America, which was a shame. It would have been cool to get down there. Um, and, but, uh, yeah, we were being all, and I think there was an article in the Guardian, which was really, um, kind of coincidental, cause that article was gonna come out anyway. Oh, funny. Yeah. I got an email, like, two days before I was made the announcement from, uh, some, someone I know in London who wanted some information. Said, oh, this article's coming out. And said, well, then you can add this. <laughs> <laughs> Good timing. Good timing. Well, <laughs> So um, what is next then? I know, or I've heard that you're involved with the robot band. Yes, I've written an album, and we have recorded that said album with uh, a, a band of robots called Compressor Head from uh, Berlin, um, and it's an Englishman and a Dutchman and a German and myself, and an Australian uh, built the bass player. He's not actively involved at the moment, so it's kind of an international collaboration of. Uh, of folks, but uh, yeah, these these guys have been building robots and doing kind of performance art pieces for a long time. And and uh, the fellow from England, Frank Barnes, he there was a robotic dem robotic exhibition in Amsterdam, and the the theme was rhythm. And so he thought, oh, I'm going to build a drummer. <laughs> so he built a four armed, two legged drummer that plays the drums. The whole idea is that it's, the drums aren't modified. The you know, he sits on a, on, well, his own stool, but plays a regular set. It's set up a little bit wider than normal because of the way his arms have to work, but it's a regular drum set. And, uh, and then he hooked up with someone who had built a guitar player. So they were a three piece, just instrumental, doing covers, kind of crowd karaoke. You know, they put the words out and, and, uh, but they decided that they wanted to take the next step and make a singer and have original songs and put out an album and be a band, mm-hmm. be a robotic band. So they got a hold of me oh, coming up three years almost. Wow. And because they're big fans of Fanson Brothers and No Means No and said, hey, originally, you know, well, we want you guys to write music for us. And 
And so I wrote a whole bunch of music, but also uh, a little bit of help from Craig Vishak, who lives here in Pell River. Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, I stole a couple God's Ball songs because <laughs> they were just balls, too represent. God's Balls because <laughs> they were just too good to let them die in obscurity. So I grabbed a couple of those songs as well, and uh, and also a friend of mine from Vancouver I wrote a song with, and uh, Byron Slack from the Invasives who uh, are also an amazing band. And um, uh, so anyway, we got the record written, and I've been working diligently with going over, well, about four or five times I've been over to program and make the robot sound musical. And the record turned out great, so the singer's still not finished. The vocals are organic. We didn't use computerized vocals. Wow. So the record's done, but the singer, he hasn't actually been completed and a second guitar player was built, Helga. <laughs> so how do we um, and, how do we check out this compressor head band? Uh, well, this is they got they. Oh, how do you check them out? Yeah, um, compressor head. Google it. I think it's their website is compressorhead.rocks, I think or okay. .rock. And yeah, check them out. Uh, there's some good footage, but there's going to be better better stuff coming. Still a, a work in progress. So it's not just the music you have to worry about; it's the actual physical. Um, it's a movement. we got to do a show, yeah. So which requires all the choreography, and this singer is going to be pretty amazing. But he's also the most complicated of all the robots because he has to lip sync, and the vocals are actually broadcast out of his head, <laughs> and and he's got all sorts of movement in his arms and his hands and his torso, and he's on tank tracks, so he runs around. He's got a built-in T-shirt cannon on one side. Oh my gosh. But um, did you ever think that uh, your likeness would be made into a robot with a T-shirt cannon? <laughs> well, it's not really my likeness, but I've added my vocals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, maybe I can edit this back in, but I do actually have one more question for your whole career. Um, with no means no, and I know you've been in other bands. I know a lot about you, John. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> the show business giants, of course. Yes, and uh, Matt, no. What's the scientist one? Were you in uh, that the one? infamous scientist? Yeah. yeah, that was way back in Victoria. That's going back to the early eighties. Yeah. Okay. What do you, What would you say is a highlight over your musical career? Do you have a one highlight? Um, uh, I think it was able. The highlight really it was sort of an all encompassing fact that I was able to tour and live from music. I mean, it took us a little while before we were earning enough, enough money to live from it started uh, earning enough to live from the band around 1990. And uh, and then I was able to write and play the music I wanted and tour all over the place and uh, and uh, didn't have a regular job until I got involved with Base Camp. Oh, Base Camp on Marine Avenue. Yeah, yeah. Colin wow. is an old friend of mine. And Steve, of course, Steve Robinson. And uh, when, uh, when we went on our hiatus a few years ago, I said, hey, i got nothing to do. I'll come and help you build so mm -hmm. kind of built myself a job well wow. oh because you physically built part of the base <laughs> yeah physically them. helping yeah. them yeah. build and finish that thing yeah i worked right up until they opened and then i cooked there for a year and a half until the robots got busy mm -hmm. um but i'm back again helping out and we got uh lots of plans for upstairs um so base camp i think is gonna get bigger and better okay thanks john for being here oh, well thanks for having me
Thanks to John Wright for that interview. And the music you just heard was a song called uh, Going Nowhere off their 1991 album, Dance of the Headless, Headless Bourgeoisie. And you heard a live um, piece of music in the beginning of that. That was from the um, Western Canadian Music Hall of Fame Awards last September. Carrie, have you looked out the window lately? Yes, I did. <laughs> I have, actually. It's gray. It's hard to see what's out there besides grayness. There's just grayness. There's wind. There's rain. And one thing's for sure, it isn't summer anymore. But as the weather changes, so does our access to different natural resources, like fish. I think with all the rain, the fish should be able to spawn easier. And there's game and mushrooms. <laughs> uh, we got up with Sam Sansalone from Powell River Outdoors to talk about the world of fishing, hunting, and mushroom picking. And here's what he had to say. Time you basically call it transition from summer to fall, winter. So what you're going to see, the big changes you're going to see is a lot of hunters out there, okay? So you're going to see people with firearms, people with bows and arrows, a lot of ATVs, dirt bikes, off-road vehicles. So you definitely want to be seen, you want to be heard out there. Um, also, if you are in the backcountry, uh, you know, spare tires, you know, uh, first aid, all that safety stuff. Safety is probably the number one thing, whether you're a hunter, mushroom picker, or backcountry person, because uh, a lot can change back there very quickly, whether it's you or somebody else getting hurt. It's good to be very prepared safety-wise. So as far as the hunting fund goes, what's, uh, what's basically open season right now? You're looking at uh, black-tailed deer uh, for bucks only in Powell River. Uh, Texada Island is generally the, the, the hub for hunting in, in our area. A lot of uh, um, numbers of deer over there, and they're also the season is open for a black-tailed deer as well there. Uh, the big change coming up here in um, October is uh, the limited entry elk season will open. So elk were transplanted in Powell River through monies raised from hunting licenses. So basically the hunters over the years they paid all the money with uh, fees to the uh, ministry through hunting licenses and tags. <clears throat> what happens with that money goes to a big pool. Of course the government unfortunately gets most of it but there is a little bit <coughs> left for um, you know, transplanting elk and things like that, or riparium, cleaning up areas. So we were lucky enough to use that money to transplant elk in the elk in the Powell River area. Once the herd was big enough, then they opened up the season to what's called limited entry hunting, which is basically a lottery. And they're uh, lucky a few. Uh, luckily, most of the individuals that actually won the lottery were Powell River residents. So it's great because now they get their tag, and they get a chance to harvest an elk, what they what they which, which they actually help introduce to the area. So that's one great thing. So that's a, a big thing too that happens up in the Powell Daniels it happens in Powell River and it happens in Theodosia as well okay so that's that's the big uh, change also lots of mushroom picking going on the mushrooms are finally out the chanterelles and pines so if you like to do that definitely the south uh, south facing slope look for fir trees some salal a little bit of moss and yeah you can't beat that Okay, well, fishing, winter fishing. Winter fishing is probably some of the most consistent fishing there is in Powell River. A lot of people uh, 
figure winters here and the fishing actually stops where in fact it actually gets better. So what you're going to see as far as tidal fishing goes is winter Chinook fishing. So these are resident fish that live in Powell River uh, and feed throughout the winter to get big and to go to the west coast in the in the summer. So these fish range anywhere from 6 to about 13 pounds and they're mainly found near the mill. They're found around Harwood Island and right in front of Westview. So uh, those are going to fish between 100 and 200 feet of water and uh, yeah this, as a matter of fact this week uh Yesterday, a fellow did really well at Hardwood catching his limit. Uh, a lot of questions about halibut fishing. Halibut will remain open till uh, December 31st. So, uh, lucky enough again in Powell River to have halibut. So, you are allowed to retain halibut providing their legal size until the end of uh, December. So, yeah, that about wraps it up for the outdoors. So, you've got lots of hunting, lots of fishing. Uh, lake fishing as well uh, will heat up, especially uh, in the lower lakes now that have cooled off, cranberry, duck, and stuff like that. So, if you have a chance, get out there. Hollow Notes with Kiss on My List, which I understand was a request. Yeah. Do you remember that one, Peter? Uh, yes, I'm certainly old enough to remember that one. I don't actually, when that <laughs> was requested, I didn't really know what it was, but I'm glad to be familiar with Hollow Notes more now. Well, they're a pretty big duo back in the 70s. Yeah. All right. And before that, of course, we had an interview with Sam Sansaloni, and that piece was produced by Yanni Weiss. And we now go to Coastal Color, a local art segment produced by Rabbit Eye. And so let's take a look at what's happening in the arts this week. Welcome back to Coastal Color, the October 14th issue of Power River Arts News for this week and a little bit more on CJMP News. I am Rabbit Eye. The Time Walkers in concert on Friday, October 14th, 7.30 p.m. It's $29 for two tickets. If it happens at the Max Cameron Theatre at Brooks High School, visit maxcameronteatre.ca and the Peak Offices, 32 Lakes Coffee and Academy of Music box office at 604-485-9633 for tickets. Ron Nerving returns to play Powell River. The Time Walkers perform hits by the Eagles, Roar Iberson, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, The Beatles, Sting, and more. Rock classics from the 60s and 70s along with their unique original tunes. Texture and Light have an album release party on Friday, October 14th at 9 p.m to 1 a.m. at the Red Lion Pub. It's only $5 at the door. It's a 19, a 19 and over only event. Texture and Light's new album, Inner Space Odyssey, drops on October 14th. Come out and hear the band play new material from the album and for the first time have the chance at buying a copy of your own CD for your home stereo. It's a party time. Lineup includes Texture and Light plus Luca Bouchard with an acoustic set and DJ Commandy of CJMP with an all-vinyl throwdown. For more information, visit facebook.com events. Find their event on Facebook as well. On Saturday, October 15th, there is an event called Ball Ball and 
world-class jam session Sam Hurry with Buffalo Saunders, Peter Bowie, and Blues Busters on Saturday, October 15th. $10. Buy tickets at Rocket Music, Brain Injury Society. It happens at the Carlson Community Club. The Chad with Papa D. Have a DJ event Saturday, October 15th from 9 p.m. to midnight. It's only $2. At the door, it happens at the Red Lion Pub in Wildwood. CJMP's resident funk soul DJ, The Chad, will throw down a healthy mix of funk, Latin, cumbia, Afrobeat, hip-hop, and soul in the intimate confines of Power River's only place for underground sounds. Look for The Chad with Papa D. Mary Flowers performs Tuesday, October 18th at 7.30 p.m. at the Cranberry Community Hall. It's $20 to attend. Buy the tickets at Power River Peak Offices on Marine Avenue. The 7th Annual Sunshine Coast Art Crawl happens October 21st, 22nd, 23rd from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It is free to attend. It's from Langdale to Earl's Cove. Find out more at the website sunshinecoastartcrawl.com. Join friends and take a scenic tour of 130-plus galleries, artist studios, and more. Enjoy events, demos, and meet the artists. Presented by the Coast Cultural Alliance. The contact for the event is Linda Williams. You can email her at barlin, B-A-R-L-I-N, at dccnet.com. There's a youth mural workshop with Luke Ramsey happening on Saturday, October 22nd from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Powell River Academy of Music, Megan Dill Room. Are you a youth 11 and older who loves art and drawing? Don't miss this chance to collaborate with international muralist, illustrator, and graphic novelist Luke Ramsey, who is designing a mural for the teen room in the new Powell River Public Library. Space is limited to 12 participants on a first-come basis. Visit prpl.ca for more information. The 2016 Haunted Ball is happening on Saturday, October 29th, 8 p.m. till late. It's a 19 and over event happening at Dwight Hall in Townsite, which is 6274 Walnut Street. It's $20 to attend. Tickets will be on sale at Basecamp, Townside Brewery, and River City Coffee. The Vale Society presents the fourth annual Haunted Ball at the historic Dwight Hall, Saturday, October 29th. Powell River's Halloween extravaganza with great music, random acts of theater, festive games, incredible costumes, spooky art, sinister snacks, dangerous drinks, and costume prizes, and more. On Thursday, November 10th, at 7.30 p.m., Alison Crow and Band in Concert, introducing Airs and Grievances is the name of the show. It's $22 general admission, $17 concession for students, seniors, and low-income benefit pricing. Buy your tickets at Patricia Theatre at the Power River Peak or online at Crow with an E dot com or also at brownpapertickets.com. Tickets at the door are $25 or $22 for concession pricing. It happens at the Patricia Theatre. This is a not-to-be-missed thrilling hybrid of Canadiana, jazz, roots, folk, soul, and rock. And that is it for this week's Coastal Color. We'll see you next week. I'm Rabbit Eye. Back to CJMP News. And thanks to Rabbit Eye for the Coastal Color segment. And that's uh, something he does every week. And actually, he's away right now. And he put together we, four weeks of yes, those. We things. missed him last week. Yes. Too. I appreciate that. Uh, we had a jam-packed show and we couldn't work. fit him in. Yes, that's true. So all the better to hear him today. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we've got one more. I think we've got one more segment on the library. Yes, and uh, I think Yanni Weiss caught up with Chloe Smith, who is... Uh, well, you'll hear, but she's also the Board of Trustees uh, for the Powell River Public Library, and she's a co-fundraising chair. So let's uh, find out what, what she's up to. Smith from the Board of Trustees of the Powell River Public Library, and Chloe is the co-chair of the fundraising committee. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Yanni. I know there there is a library that's being built. and uh, You've heard, have you? <laughs> you know, there have been some, some obstacles and uh, so, some delays, 
Um, but it is still happening? It is still happening. We, um, as a tenant of the new building, are, of course, feeling the frustrations that all the tenants in the Crossroads Village are feeling, um, which is, you know, of course, due to the delays in construction. But we are confident, we are aware that the city lawyers and the construction lawyers are talking and that a building permit is imminent. So we have roughly six months of construction once the permit is um, handed out. So we know that we still have a little bit of time in front of us, but we're very confident that it's going to get moving again right away here. All right. So there are, you know, obstacles in the way of building permits and and other uh, logistical things, but also the library is going to need more funds to go forward as planned. Uh, So what does that look like? How does the library get its so the cost associated with the new facility is $4.9 million, and the uh, Board of Trustees of the library have agreed to manage one-third of that loan. So $1.4 million, um, we have five years to raise this money, and uh, we will be doing so through fundraising efforts. Great, and there's also um, a group that fundraises along with the Powell River Public Library, and that's called the Friends of the Library. Um, could you tell us how that's different from the fundraising committee? Like, do they fundraise for different things? They absolutely do. Uh, the Friends of the Library have very generously set a mandate of raising $100,000 for the collection of books because we will be increasing our size by three times and so we will have a need to purchase um, a significant amount of new books and other materials. And so the Friends of the Library are at this point strictly fundraising for uh, the collection and they are over halfway there. Thank you, friends. And for the money that the fundraising committee is raising, uh, what are some of the things that that money will go towards uh, other than the building itself? We are doing all the technical stuff. So the furniture and the lighting and there's, you know, there's just certain things that um, the shelving for the books and all the furniture and the construction of the circulation desk and, you know, the meeting rooms and the reading lounges and all that kind of stuff. And so we are currently in phase one of fundraising. We are offering naming opportunities for all these different aspects of the new facility. So we've been talking with groups like the First Credit Union and the Rotary and the Catalyst Mill um, about getting their name on, you know, the meeting rooms. Um, And so that has been phase one for us currently. We are um, in the midst of selling some naming opportunities in the library. Great. And could you tell us a bit about what has caused the delays on the site? Because, I mean, I know there's people that were a little sad to see the delays. Um, are these big hurdles to get through, or are we almost through them? They are construction delays. So once uh, the city engineers were able to get in there, um, there was some certain structural issues that came to light, uh, which is, you know, to be expected in a in a job as large as this. And so they are just currently uh, figuring out it's something to do with the ceiling and the firewall protection of the ceiling is from my understanding. Great. And if our listeners wanted to support the library and its needs for funds or support it in other ways, what are some things that they could do? Yeah, great. Thanks for asking, Yanni. The naming opportunities are spread over a wide range, anything from $100 to $1.4 million. And anybody that, um, you know, maybe has somebody that they'd like to keep in memorandum or grandkids they'd like to name something after, um, a great place to start is 
buildafuturepr.ca. It's www.buildafuturepr.ca. Or you could phone the library directly and ask for our chief librarian, Terry. Great. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So that was Chloe Smith speaking with Yoni Weiss. And now we're almost at the end of the show. And so we want to thank everyone who contributed, including Rabbit Eye, Yanni Weiss, Peter Harvey, Sandra Lopez. And Inger Lisa. Inger Lisa Burns. Burns. I'm Carrie Swiggum. And CJMP News is on every Friday from noon till 1 p.m. and rebroadcast Saturdays at 11 a.m. The show can also be heard as a podcast along with all of CJMP's live shows at cjmponline.ca slash podcasting. We're also on iTunes. Just search for CJMP News and hit subscribe. Up next on the Friday Live lineup is Rabbit Eye and 1,000 Tiny Magnets. And here's Annie Lennox, the Rhythmics, and the Ring. Stay tuned. Have a good week. <laughs>